This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. A few episodes back, I broached the topic of banning TikTok, and as promised, I'm going to go just a bit deeper on the issue. Specifically, I want to take an honest assessment of the proposed security risks of TikTok and what the legal fight on the other side of a TikTok ban would look like. This is Creative Control. I'm your host, Casey Finey. Each week, I'll be unpacking the driving forces and people shaping the creator economy and what it all means for its future. Okay. Since I last talked to creator vSphere about the possibility of a TikTok ban, it actually happened. Montana became the first state to approve a bill banning TikTok. And there's a very strong possibility that this will cause a domino effect of other states banning the app. So let's unpack this a little, starting with the security risks of TikTok. To walk me through this, I reached out to Harvard and Brown professor Timothy Edgar, Professor Edgar is a former ACLU lawyer who later worked as a cybersecurity advisor to former President Barack Obama. So to kick off our conversation, I wanted to get his overall take on where we are now with cybersecurity. Well, I've always felt like we were on the cusp of people really taking action to try to finally do something about cybersecurity. I've thought that for almost 20 years, and it seems like we never quite get there, despite big cybersecurity problems, breaches, attacks, and so forth. Maybe we're in a better place than we've ever been, though, because two things really that are converging. One is the bloom is off the rose when it comes to technology and the internet. Back in the early 2000s, even into the early 2010s, People still kind of were marveling at the technology and thinking this is transformative and wonderful. And any discussion of problems, privacy or security problems or whatever, it went against the general grain. Now, if anything, we've almost gone too far in the opposite direction. Facebook, Google, Amazon, these companies are large, successful companies. They've become almost villains. I think it's great that we're holding them accountable in a way that they never were before. That's fantastic. But obviously, they're companies. They're just companies trying to make money, just like any other company out there. And so it's our job to decide what we should do to regulate them or to add rules about them. It's not really their job to behave nicely. (laughs) That's not how capitalism works. So I, I think that's good because it allows us to look at kind of the the dark underbelly of some of these technological developments. So why do you think the Biden administration has been able to move the needle on cybersecurity more than the Obama administration? Two things that have changed are that the public has soured a little bit on Silicon Valley. So Silicon Valley is not untouchable in the way that it kind of was during the Obama years, actually. Certainly, uh, Democrats had strong support from Silicon Valley companies. That's still true today. And the other reason is we've had more and more attacks over the past decade and a half. Obama saw the beginnings of some of those attacks. But, you know, I think we were still deluding ourselves that just some additional public-private partnership and information sharing would help. When with the Biden administration, they've come down a lot harder saying we're going to have to really look at 
specific problems in our networks, and we're going to have to really force companies to take action, starting with the federal government setting very high standards for the software and hardware that they buy, but then potentially extending that out into critical infrastructure and other areas that really should have had these requirements on them many years ago. You mentioned there being a difference between the Obama administration versus Biden's in terms of cybersecurity. So what difference do you see in the TikTok ban that Trump attempted to issue in 2020 versus where we are now under the current administration? Well, it's a more serious discussion in part because that Trump executive order seemed like it was just designed to create headlines. Trump is trying to ban TikTok. Great. But it wasn't actually going to happen. And part of the reason for that is that the law that the government uses to go after foreign companies that may pose some national security risks, which is called IEPA, the International Emergency Economic Powers Act is what that stands for. It has an exception for books, magazines, informational materials of all kinds. And that would certainly include apps and the internet. It wasn't drafted during the internet age. It was drafted back in the Cold War, when researchers and activists and others who were just curious were trying to understand Cuba. They wanted to be able to subscribe to Cuban magazines. They wanted to be able to do other things that violated the embargo against Cuba. If you just look at the text of how those sanctions work, Congress thought that went too far in restricting freedom of expression. So they amended IEPA, the main sanctions law that we use, to exempt those kinds of materials and to say, no, Americans should be able to get information from a wide variety of sources. We trust them to understand that some of this might be government propaganda. Uh, We're not going to impose sanctions that prohibit people from being able to read information. TikTok successfully used that exemption to challenge the Trump ban and basically succeeded in court. But now with the Restrict Act and other proposals that are pending before Congress, they would change that and they would empower the president to use those powers to go after TikTok. So that's one thing that's different about this attempt by Biden. The other is obviously politically it's different because we have a Democratic president who's at least sounds like he's open to a ban. We have Republicans who've been strongly for something like a ban and the Democrats are trying to play catch up. Uh, So the way I talk about it is I've seen this movie before. This was what the Patriot Act was like after 9-11. This is what a lot of policies around terrorism were like after 9-11, where both parties kind of tried to one-up each other to look tougher. And the problem with that dynamic is that you don't get a real debate over policies that might be very problematic, and that distorts the public debate. And I see that's happening with TikTok. Right. I mean, I do think, that there are valid concerns regarding the risks of a Chinese government really lording over an app like TikTok through its parent company, ByteDance. I mean, there are headlines last year around leaked audio from internal meetings where it came to light that China did access U.S. TikTok data despite the company saying the opposite. And there were reports of journalists in the U.S. being spied on by China through the app. So, yeah, I mean, there definitely are valid concerns. I don't think anyone's doubting that. But what are your thoughts on an outright ban on the app? I ask because it's always worth mentioning that China has long banned Twitter and Facebook and other tech companies from operating within its borders. And now here we are talking about banning TikTok in the U.S. So do you think 
the outright ban that many lawmakers are calling for would put us on the same footing as an authoritarian government that we've criticized. We are very much in uncharted territory, but only because the U.S. has dominated the Internet for so long that we are surprised at the idea that there's a powerful, influential Internet company out there that's not American Mm. and that may have an influence on our data, that may have an influence on our society. The rest of the world, every other country in the world, democratic, authoritarian, you name it, has been in this position for about 20 years, dealing with American tech companies. We're dealing with it for the first time. Yeah, roles are definitely reversed here. But my feeling is that whatever we choose to do with TikTok, you know, I say, remember the golden rule. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't regulate TikTok or restrict it or do other things. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't take notice of the fact that the Chinese government is the Chinese government. It's Mm -hmm. authoritarian. It's not the same as if we were dealing with an app from Germany or some other country, Costa Rica, (laughs) you name it. But we do have to have a playing field that we are comfortable is fair to all companies in the world, because other countries will take our example and they will look at our companies and they will say, well, there were risks that you pointed out with TikTok about privacy. There were risks that you pointed out in terms of the impact on your society we think that the risks of Facebook are just intolerable, or Mm -hmm. we think that the risks of YouTube are intolerable, and we're going to ban those platforms. And we would object to those kinds of bans, I would think, blanket bans like that. We might say, yeah, of course, you should have your privacy rules, and our companies are going to have to deal with them. But a blanket ban like that puts us in the territory of countries like China, Mm -hmm. actually, like North Korea, and other countries that have banned and entire websites and platforms. Exactly. Citizens of those countries either don't have access to that information at all or resort to things like VPNs mm-hmm. in order to access websites that are banned in their country and their society. And I don't want to see the US on that side of the debate over a, what we've always been on the side of a free, open, interoperable, and yes, secure, but open and interoperable internet. We've always been on the side of internet freedom. And I worry that a blanket ban on TikTok puts us on the wrong side of that debate. And I do think there are alternatives to a blanket ban that would mitigate some of these risks. And I think that's the way we should be looking at this issue is as a question of risk mitigation. And that's often the way you do it in cybersecurity. Nothing is ever going to be 100% secure. You mentioned risk mitigation, which is what the Restrict Act is supposed to be in some way, which, of course, is the piece of legislation that was introduced by Virginia Senator Mark Warner. And there's also Project Texas, where TikTok is working with the Texas-based software company Oracle to make sure that U.S. data stays within the U.S. So between the Restrict Act and Project Texas, do you think this is enough? I think they have a lot further to go because... We saw the TikTok CEO really get beaten up in Congress, I think, fairly, correctly, for kind of saying things that just didn't pass the credibility test about, oh, I'm completely independent from what's going on in China and that kind of thing. That's just not believable. So I think they could do a lot more there. What I'd also like to see is a use of technology to provide greater assurances about the security of data that would be, let's say, on those servers in Texas. 
Are there ways we can create transparency while preserving the confidentiality of the data themselves? We can still have very, there are cryptographic methods that you could use to provide assurance that data is secure and hasn't been uploaded or transferred to China while still providing some level of confidentiality for that data. Those kinds of technological solutions are never going to be 100%. They're never going to provide us with 100% guarantees of security. There's always going to be a risk. Employees of a company, either legally or under pressure from the parent company, provide information, let's say, on a journalist or on some other person of real concern, even if they've said that they're not going to. But we can put in place procedures to try to catch that kind of thing and to try to detect it in ways that would make it more difficult for that to happen. I put in place procedures like that at the NSA when I was working in the Office of the Director of National Intelligence and at the White House, where dealing with an agency that is highly secret, that many in the public are concerned about, potential abuse. Were they perfect? Absolutely not, right? Were there abuses? Absolutely there were. But we had a much better sense of how many, the scale of the problem, those kinds of things can be done. And I would think that all of those kinds of things I'm describing would be that kind of model that's sustainable for any social media platform, right? Depending on what risks are involved. That maybe there's a higher level of scrutiny for foreign-owned social media platforms, especially those in countries that we might think as of concern. But the problem with just banning TikTok is it's a whack-a-mole problem, right? We ban this company. Okay, yay. We get to say that we've solved the problem. There will be, in the next 5, 10, 15 years, many more successful foreign companies. Some of them will be from countries like China, which is a real powerhouse here. Others might be from countries that are we think are allies, but do we really know what their ownership structure says and which billionaire is really in charge of those companies and who they're friends with? Telegram is a platform, for example, that was started in Russia, moved to Dubai to get avoid the Russian government. Many people in Ukraine use that platform. Many people outside of Russia are using that platform. What are we going to do? Are we going to ban Telegram, right? That would be seem like a dumb thing right. for a major platform for so many people who are on the side of the Ukrainians. But there are risks with Telegram, right? So we need a strategy and a policy that makes sense across the board for protecting privacy and security interests for all these companies that takes account of things like their ownership, but doesn't do a sledgehammer for one company just to make ourselves feel better. So we've seen tech CEOs being grilled by Congress before, but TikTok CEO Shozi Chu's hearing felt different for, I think, obvious reasons. And all of this is happening against the backdrop of the U.S. and China's very much strained relationship. So how do you see the increasing momentum in banning TikTok in the U.S. playing out in that context? It was striking the difference in tone mm -hmm. between the hearing with the CEO of TikTok and the hearing that we've seen with the other tech CEOs. Right. Where Mark Zuckerberg and Tim Cook and others have, they've gotten a grilling from Congress, and rightfully so, for privacy problems, for problems about their platform, influencing young teenage girls around their body image, a host of issues where they legitimately got tough questions. But there was a sense of balance with the fact that, of course, 
These are companies that are providing innovations and products for Americans. And there was a sense that we want to kind of work with these companies, maybe regulate them, but work with them to solve problems. None of that with TikTok. It was just all suspicion to the point of, in some ways, I think, very hostile questioning without any sense that there's a potential upside for a, a social media site that that has been highly successful and an important part of the ecosystem for many Americans. And I think the answer is obvious. It's not an American company. The CEO wasn't an American. He was Singaporean, which I think they kind of naively thought would somehow insulate him from attacks, which did not, not at happen all. <laughs> uh, at all. So I do think that some of the rhetoric can contribute to these tensions with China. On the other hand, let's not let the Chinese off the hook. Xi Jinping has adopted a much more aggressive and nationalist stance. He's pushed the boundaries even of the Chinese communist system by staying in office longer. He's been threatening Taiwan. I hope that the Chinese will also take a step back as well and ask themselves, do they really want to go down this confrontational road? I hope at least that they maybe won't want to do that, having seen what has happened to Russia in Ukraine. But I worry because we've seen that sometimes we can be naive too about the potential for talking with our potential adversaries. So how do you see this all playing out, like realistically speaking? Because it sounds like you don't think a full ban is going to happen. I wouldn't say that. Yeah. It might. Hmm. And because of the politics around this issue can be very powerful. And hmm. we sometimes think that Congress never does anything. They're always in gridlock. They're always debating silly issues. Maybe this is a silly issue, but that doesn't mean that they're not capable of producing legislation that could empower a ban that'll move the whole issue to the courts, where TikTok and others, the ACLU has already signaled that they would challenge a ban. And so the courts would have to look at whether a ban is constitutional. But those are all real possibilities. 50-50 would be my guess. Wow, 50 uh, of the, Really? I, I think it's at least that high. Wow. Just because I've seen when the ball gets rolling in Congress, when both parties have an incentive politically or feel they have an incentive politically to go in a certain direction, they may end up rolling down that hill faster than we think. Even if that means it being incredibly unpopular, because I've, in my mind, I think the blowback from the public would just be so massive that's something that would play into this to some degree. But, oh, you say 50-50, that's... <laughs> uh, well, I don't know that the parties are thinking that that's true. <laughs> I think that might Fair be enough. true. They might right. miscalculate, right? These are members of Congress who aren't really plugged into the internet creator community, shall we say. So, well, that's true. <laughs> so they may be simply looking at it as who's tougher on China rather than, oh, this is going to affect a bunch of people who are kind of apolitical and they're going to be angry about it. Mm. We only had one member of Congress in the past month or so who's kind of stepped out and said, hey, I think this is a bad idea. And I also think that dynamics can change very quickly. Already, I feel like some of that rhetoric from that hearing may have subsided a little bit. There may be an opportunity for a more reasonable solution, but that's not going to happen by itself. That's going to happen because people who aren't terribly political kind of wake up and say, we don't want the U.S. to go down the road of banning an app or banning a website. We do want real privacy protection. We do want real security guarantees. 
I do think that a version of the Restrict Act is the most likely piece of legislation to pass. And it doesn't outright ban TikTok just on its own. It gives the administration greater power up to and including a ban to deal with TikTok. We're going to take a quick break. And when we're back, we'll hear from a law professor about the legal aspect of a TikTok ban. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. We heard from cybersecurity expert Timothy Edgar about the real and perceived risks of TikTok. So what does banning TikTok look like from a legal perspective? I'm Anupam Chander. I'm a law professor at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. Professor Chander focuses on the global regulation of new technologies, so you'd rightly assume that he's been actively following the conversation around banning TikTok, especially the news out of Montana. Last month, Montana became the first state to approve a ban on TikTok. And we're not talking about banning TikTok on government devices like many states have already done and the federal government has actually done. This is a full-on ban for all TikTok users in Montana. A TikTok spokesperson has already said the company would fight for TikTok users' First Amendment rights. So if this goes to court, like it probably will, what can we expect? Yeah, so I do think that this is going to result in litigation. It will be immediately challenged. And then it really will be an issue ultimately for the Supreme Court. And so this is the kind of issue I think that the court would feel, I hope, obliged to take because it is really a very significant issue. It would be an immense power for a state to say that you can't use this very significant national platform for communicating. Would Montana now have to check your devices as you came into the state to make sure that you weren't carrying TikTok as you drove through Montana? Would the citizens of the good citizens of the state of Montana have to VPN over hmm. to pretend that they were outside Montana so they could access content on TikTok? That seems really not very American. And so it seems like it would raise significant First Amendment concerns especially when the government has all of this is based on allegations, hypotheticals, not evidence. So I'll, uh, you know, so you can already see where I'm going with with my views on on this matter. Of course. I mean, and given your expertise here, have you seen anything like this before? I mean, this feels like a pretty singular moment in history right now, but I'm curious like is there anything that you can compare this moment to? So a few years ago, we did the government of the United States here in the form of the a committee that regulates foreign investment into the United States did say that when Grindr, this social dating app, was purchased by a Chinese company, it had to sell it to someone else, that it didn't want that data possibly flowing into China. There, there was evidence that Grindr was having some engineering, et cetera. The new owners of Grindr were sending data to China. And so 
there were concerns, and Grindr is a different kind of app, frankly. It is because it's dating. People are often dating outside marriage, <laughs> etc. You can there are kind of espionage issues that are raised by an app like Grindr. Still, Grindr is not 150 million American users, and really a kind of normal everyday use by Americans in a way that it will not be exactly replicated anywhere else. And First Amendment doctrine doesn't require that you can move over to a different newspaper if you can shutter one. That's not the way that First Amendment doctrine works in any case. But I do think that this is really unprecedented. I talked a little bit about this with Timothy Edgar, who was a cybersecurity advisor to President Obama, but I'd love to get your thoughts here. And I'm talking about the Restrict Act, which basically is a piece of legislation that would give the U.S. Commerce Secretary the power to regulate technology coming from adversarial countries, which right now they've listed as Iran, North Korea, Venezuela, Cuba, Russia, and of course, China. And there's been a lot of people who have said that this right now, as it's written, it's just way too broad. So yeah, I just want to get your thoughts right now. Like, what do you think of the Restrict Act? And do you agree that right now it's just too broad? I agree. Senator Warner's Restrict Act is extremely broad. I do think it's actually well thought out in this sense, that what Senator Warner did was look at all the times that TikTok, WeChat, and before it, a company called, in the, in a case called RALS, where Chinese companies have won in U.S. court. Okay. Chinese companies or their users have won in U.S. court. And what it decided to do was to ensure that never happened again. Mm. And so the Restrict Act literally restricts the challenges that any company that's banned can bring in U.S. courts. It literally takes away the judicial process for most of the claims. It says the Administrative Procedure Act is unavailable, so things that aren't done according to the right procedure are unavailable. It says that data information that is used to come to the decision cannot be disclosed. There's no discovery available to ask the government, how did you come to this decision? It says that the only court that can hear this is the D.C. Court of Appeals. So only one court is trusted with making this determination. Okay, so that's the trial court. We don't want it to go to any random federal judge. We want it to go to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, the only court that can be trusted. And that evidence can be presented in secret, what we call in-camera and ex parte, without the other party present. Okay, so the government can assemble its secret evidence against the foreign company, explaining why to the judge, and those judges are only the judges of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, and then the judges can only rule on constitutional matters or something that's patently illegal, patently inconsistent with a manifest command of the statute. What does that so, mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's a language I've never seen before. Yeah, this all, what you just laid out, I would assume that it is, but it just sounds very unprecedented, which is a word that we keep using. But I mean, is this allowed? This feels like a lot of, I know it's called the Restrict Act, but it feels like <laughs> a lot of restrictions that are in place that seem, it seems to be very targeted in a way. Like this doesn't feel like a regular piece 
of legislation. It feels un-American. That's really, for me, what it feels. Because one of the great things about 2020 was that a Chinese company took on the U.S. president and won. And that, my friends, is exactly what the United States is about. We don't have a king. We have a judicial system. That is exactly what rule of law is. We've said we never want to lose again to a Chinese government. How are we then not moving towards a different style of government where we say, when it comes to China, there are no rights. Chinese companies have no rights whatsoever. The Chinese did this to us. Don't get me wrong, okay? <laughs> Facebook was kicked out. Twitter was kicked out. Wikipedia is banned. It's, Wikipedia doesn't even try to make money there. But I've always thought that we've known that for 20 years. And we never thought, oh my goodness, you guys are right. We should not be kicking out your companies. That wasn't our approach. We always said, no, that's wrong. Right. And we don't play that game. But now, apparently, we're starting to play that game. What I've seen in following this is that bans beget bans. And so this is the United States, which has been a leader in an open internet, closing itself off and saying, this foreign app is unacceptable. But the same things could be said about our apps across the world. So if you think about China banning U.S. apps like Facebook and Twitter, India outright banning TikTok in 2020, and the U.S. now seeming to follow suit, what, in your opinion, is the current state of digital privacy on an international scale? I have a paper with Paul Schwartz where we propose an international solution to privacy issues across borders. And I think that it is possible. I don't think anyone is yet willing to step up to the plate to really promote it. But I think we need to allow for information to flow across the world, into China, out of China, into the United States, etc., and we need to have rules that protect our privacy regardless of where the data flows. And that's just got to be the future. We've got to have a globalized internet. We don't want to have an American TikTok and a Canadian TikTok. We want to be able to talk to each other. And we don't want to have a TikTok that only covers the West and not other countries. I don't think that's the right way to approach these things. And so we need global solutions. I don't yet see politicians that have embraced that kind of ambition. And I'm not saying it's easy to get to, but I think that you need to have an ambition in order to get there someday. And we don't even see that at all currently by anyone. Oh, that's interesting. So do you think that this should be a priority for the World Trade Organization? So right now, I think that the World Trade Organization is considering issues of data flows but within a small group, within a group of around 80 countries that are negotiating. This includes, of all things, China, the United States, and the European Union. So it includes some very big players. Most of those rules will probably have national security exceptions. So we won't have really a decision on this particular issue likely out of the rules that are being considered at the WTO at the moment. One thing that stood out to me in talking to professors Edgar and Chander is them saying how un-American the U.S.'s approach to banning TikTok has been. Of course, the U.S. is by no means a saint when it comes to passing fair and just legislation. 
But I do think this debate is an interesting case of the U.S. struggling to decide how to apply our values to a new situation, a situation where we don't have as much control as we want. And you have to wonder, if we ban TikTok, what app comes next? Because as Professor Chandra says, bans beget bans. That's all for this episode of Creative Control. Make sure you subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And as always, make sure you rate and comment as well because I love to hear from you. Fast Company podcasts are produced by Avery Miles, Blake Odom, and Julia Shu. Editing and sound design is by Nicholas Torres. Our executive producer is Joshua Christensen. And providing editorial oversight is Senior VP of Entertainment, Scott Mebus. 